Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. As always, I'm your host of the most, Adela Marcy, and today we're joined by none other than Marshall Silva, one of the millionaire makers down in uh, Las Vegas that's absolutely crushing it. Now, this show is always, as always, is sponsored by AdelaMarcy.com, but we're also sponsored today by Silver.com. God, I totally messed up. So Silver.com, it's S-Y-L-V-E-R.com, links in the description as always. Marshall, thank you so much for taking the time of doing this today. My great pleasure, friend. That's amazing. So, like, from what I know, because, um, again, I've only done very brief research on you because everything got sent to me in a weird hub. What you do is actually subconscious reprogramming and irresistible influence, right? That's that, very true. That is entirely you. This is quite interesting to me. Like, how did you get into that? I know I'm launching directly in before we get into, like, the story of who you are, but I'm curious about this. How did you actually get into that? Well, I was uh, very poor as a child. I have nine brothers and sisters, and the first house we lived in had no running water. It had no electricity. It had no phone. We were homeless twice. The second home I lived in was a converted chicken coop. And to me, at seven years old, it was heaven. It had running water. It had electricity. And other than, uh, you know, clucking when I get happy, no adverse side effects. So as a young man, being that poor, um, I took on a hobby, and the hobby I took on was magic. And uh, when I realized that people would actually pay me to perform, everything changed. And I started uh, doing magic professionally at 10 years old. And as my life went on, I got hypnotized at my high school when I was 16 years old. And it was a life-changing experience. It was a major turning point for me. It made me realize that you know we are who we think we are and we get to choose. The hypnotist had given me a suggestion that when he said the word sunny boy, I would stand up from my seat in the audience I'd walk back to the stage, I'd fall on my own butt, I'd roll up my patnicks above my knees, I'd climb on his lap, I'd put my thumb in my own mouth, and I'd say, sing it again, daddy. And I remember when he gave me that suggestion and sent me back to my seat in the audience, I was thinking, I'll be damned if I'm going to do that. I'm not going to embarrass myself in front of the whole school. And then he says those words, sunny boy, and I find myself being pulled back to the stage. And I come back to the stage, I fall on my butt, I roll up my pat legs, climb on his lap, thumb in my mouth, sing it again, daddy. And I just, I went home that night and I thought, my God, that was a weird experience. Was I actually hypnotized or was I just doing what he told me to do? And I thought, well, what if he told you to get off drugs? Because at the time I was a marijuana and cocaine addict. What if he told you to get off drugs and you just did it? What if he told you to be confident and you just did it? What if he had told you to go out and be a multimillionaire? And because he had said it and I believed it, that it would happen on, on its course. And so after that, I did some research, you know, being that poor growing up, I was quite introverted, very shy. Mm-hmm. At 17 years old, I hypnotized my first subject. It was a, a girl from high school that I was in love with that didn't really want to have anything to do with me. And after I hypnotized her, she wouldn't leave me alone. And here we are today. <laughs> you guys, so did you guys end up being together? or? Yeah, you know, we dated for a while. I realized that uh, the, the, the pursuit of that particular one was much more fun than the acquisition. And we weren't really suited for each other. But I uh, certainly, my uh, one true wife, the woman I'm married to right now, and and I say that my one true wife because I was married twice before my one true wife. uh, We've been together for 10 years. I met her in Boston. I was doing a seminar for a 1,000 people in the room. I saw this beautiful young woman seated four rows back on the aisle. And I looked at her and I said, I think that's the one. And so I hypnotized her while I'm conducting this two-day workshop for a thousand people. While I'm teaching it, I'm subtly hypnotizing her to come up and ask me out on a date on the break. And uh, she came up, asked me out on a date on the break, and like I said, here we are. That's amazing. So 
again, as a fellow person that's, that loves influence, that loves persuasion to a point, it's basically been my career since I was 12. Um, because again, I'm not sure how much about me you know or what you've listened to. Anything well, I know that you are a world-class copywriter. I know that you are a world-class marketer and you're absolutely right. You know, I, I have that same thrill. So whether I'm influencing a, a person to overcome anxiety or panic attacks or influencing somebody to become a multimillionaire or hypnotizing my wife, uh, we have three babies, Sterling Silver, Maximus Silver and Prosperity Silver. All three babies were born at home via hypnosis. Uh, some people would say they were conceived that way too. They were born at home via hypnosis with no drugs, no doctors, no pain. In fact, uh, my daughter's birth, we live streamed online. We had you know, thousands of people watch the live stream. And it looks like my wife was sleeping during the entire birth until I reached down into the tub and, and lift my baby girl up. Wow. And so, yeah, it's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And what most people don't realize is that it's not difficult to hypnotize people. The hard part is bringing them out of the trance they walk around in every single day that limits them and stops them from going for what they want. Oh, no, that I definitely do know. Like that one I know far too well, just simply because the, um, personally, because I don't, I did a little bit of hypnotherapy for uh, healing my own stuff. And because when I was doing voice acting, I found out that I have a very deep voice. Uh, you know Paul McKenna, don't you? Have you heard of him? Of course. I do. Right. Strangest thing, I'd never heard Paul do a hypnosis before in my entire life. And I was talking to a friend of mine who loves Paul McKenna. And he goes, oh, no. So I was like, yeah, no, I dabbled in a little bit of hypnosis. Really, it's, you know, it's just a thing that I did for fun because I love to see how it works. And I love how people's brain works. Um, and also because if you know how it works for other people, you know how it works for you. And if someone's trying to manipulate you in a way that isn't of the greatest good, you're aware of it. And it's really, really good to actually have awareness. So he goes, oh, yeah, let's hear your voice. So I, so I do the voice, uh, you know, go into my deeper voice. And he goes, you sound exactly like Paul McKenna. It's incredible. I, I listened okay. to it. I was like, damn, he does have my voice. Because <laughs> this is my everyday voice. So if I was to do like a hypnosis with someone, um, the big thing that I've actually learned from it is the two word commands. You know where you just speak very slowly in just two words per per command. That helps. That's helped a lot of people I know just get out of the daily trance and just kind of play, find a place in their mind that's a little more quiet. But I mean, well, you know, in, in communication, less is always more. Yep. And the, the challenge for people is they don't ask for exactly what they want, either of their life or of themselves. And so they produce a result that's not what they want. It, it's like a woman who walks into her uh, husband who's in the living room and she says, are you going to be in here for a little while? And he says, uh, yeah. And then she leaves. And what she really meant to ask is, are you going to be here for a little while to watch the kids while I go take care of something, which is a completely different context. And, and so it's very important hypnotically to give short commands, specific directives, and always have the outcome in mind. Yeah, no, that's very powerful. Now, my actual question for you here, especially like offshooting exactly what we said, because again, this is just something I'm really interested in. I'm sure many listeners are interested in this as well. Oh, like, can you actually put yourself in that trance and actually get yourself to do embedded commands to yourself? Is that, yep. I mean, that's, that's no realm of possibility, but what I'm well, asking is how effective? Uh, ultimately, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Uh, just as all learning is self-learning, uh, the expression, the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. What that means is the teacher could have been there all along and the student wasn't ready to learn the knowledge that they needed, and so they didn't see the teacher. 
You know, life teaches us lessons. Lessons get harder until we've learned them. And we'll know that we've learned our lesson when we finally change our habits. The challenge for most people is they keep doing the same thing again and again and again and again, whether they're dating the same kind of people or whether they're they're doing the same things to make money that only barely get them by. And it's, it's the ability to step outside of yourself and look back at yourself with empathetic eyes and say, okay, if I was coaching this person, what would I tell this person to do? You know, I, I've lived an amazing life and I am really grateful. I've you know, done, made over $220 million in the course of my career. I've done every single item on my bucket list. And there is a Buddhist curse. And the curse is may all of your greatest desires be instantaneously fulfilled. And when I was a kid, I always thought, what a stupid thing to call that a curse. That's a blessing until it happened to me. You know, I'd, I'd lived my whole life and professionally, like I said, I did everything I wanted professionally. The only area of my life that I wasn't satisfied was my relational life. And then I met this beautiful woman that, that I love so very much that is perfect for me. And I didn't realize it because it was so subtle. But when I met her, I really lost the motivation and lost the hunger and lost the drive that I'd had my entire life. And it, it's odd, you know, to think that. So, so fast forward now, my babies are born, my daughter's born. I look into her eyes while I'm catching her in the bathtub, and I said to myself, I'm not done. I'm, I'm not done. I don't know what it is, yet I'm not done. I'm, I'm going to find this thing that will be Nobel Prize worthy. I'm going to find this thing to do that will really help people in such a way that my children's children can be proud of their grandfather. Wow. That's incredible. So my question is, have you actually found that yet? Or are you still on the I have. Um, I, I, I realize there's something beyond hypnosis. There's something beyond programming somebody's brain. And that thing beyond hypnosis, that thing even beyond, I'll go so far as to say faith, that faith has its own shortcomings because it's faith, is that there's a thing called certainty. And for the last two years, we've been working on some powerful technology called certainty that allows you to approach things with that point of view. It's not, can I be a billionaire? I am a certain billionaire. It's not, is it possible for me to have a phenomenal relationship or relationships? It is certain. It's guaranteed. It's, it's your birthright. And when people approach things from those points of view of not praying or wishing or hoping or believing, when they come from a point of view that says, no, my success is certain. I am a certain millionaire. I am a certain husband. I, I have certain relationships. I'm building a certain business. Then, then the bumps in the road don't slow people down. They just say, it, that's, it's just that, it's a bump. My, you know, my success is certain. If I didn't get the result that I was looking for this first time, it doesn't mean the result isn't coming. It means it didn't come by that means. I need to change up my means or my approach. Yeah, that basically is a completely too, new different, that's a completely new mindset to actually approach situations, and especially when you have setbacks. Well, you know, again, reality is created by validation. And if a person has a large number of setbacks, they begin to believe the setbacks rather than the fact that they're just approaching this thing in a way that doesn't work. And so, you know, you, you couldn't pick a place on the earth that it wasn't possible to get to. And so I tell people, you can always get to where you want to go. The challenge is you may not realize that the paths you're taking don't go there. You know, it's a... Uh, it's a very specific uh, rule of success in life that one of the reasons people don't succeed is they are badly yoked or badly partnered to people that have subconscious or even conscious desires to make them not succeed. So maybe somebody's in a relationship. My first marriage was a, was a good marriage. She was a good woman. 
I was 21 years old. The reason it didn't work out is I wanted to be a multimillionaire for sure. And she just wanted a guy that would give her, you know, a half a dozen kids, go to work at 9 a.m., come back at 5 p.m. and be happy with that lifestyle. And so when she realized that I wanted something substantially bigger, it just didn't work. We, we divorced. We ended up actually living together for a year and a half after we divorced because we really liked each other. I also knew, though, that she wasn't right for me. Uh, the same thing is not just true in marriages. The same thing can be true in business. The same thing can be true about the people we interact with on a regular basis, that we've got to get rid of those toxic relationships and, and create certainty around us, create you know relationships that are ones of encouragement, create relationships that are ones of collaboration rather than competition. You know, there's more than enough abundance for everybody. We just need to come from that place that says, look, how do I help you get everything you want? And by the way, I could use some help too. Yeah, that's actually a really big thing that very few people truly understand. I mean, I think it was Zig Ziglar that said it best, which was help enough people get what they want and you'll get what you want. Well, and I think the challenge is some people, it's not enough for them to win. Something in their psyche, they need someone else to lose. Yep. Yeah, you know, my, my kids uh, are six, four, and, and two. My little boys are, are six and four, and they're competitive. And I like them being competitive, yet often they'll go, I won, I won, I won. And I'll say, you know what? There is a way for everybody to win. It is possible that everybody could win. Not all games are that way, yet the game that we're playing of life, everybody can win. And it's interesting to me to have clean slates, to work with, with people that have not had bad hypnosis put in their brains, because the majority of our programming in our life is done by the time we are seven or eight years old. Yep. So if, if a person is in a horrific circumstance and their brain is filled up with, with abuse and, and you know, you're taking away the confidence and speaking to that child poorly and, and making them feel bad, then what happens is they grow into adults that never quite lose that. Yeah. At the same time, if you take take a person and you give them positive programs and you give them, you know, really good input, like you are a gift from God as you grow up, you'll do great things. You'll help many people get everything they want. Everything you touch will turn to silver. If you spoke to a child that way from the time they were born until they were seven or eight years old, that child will be blessed for life. And no matter what they deal with coming from that point moving forward, uh, they'll be able to handle it. Yeah. No, that I agree with almost entirely as someone that was in the exact opposite of that situation. Because, I get it. Yeah. My, my, my father was a mean old man. I'd call him on the phone, and the first words out of his mouth, you little SOB, why are you calling me? The last words out of his mouth, you little MFR, don't ever call me again. And so, you know, I, I, I believe that part of my reason for being a drug addict as a kid was my low self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, though, my mother was the opposite. My mother was always someone that would say to all of her kids, and especially me, you know, Marshall, you're going to grow up. You're going to change people's lives. You're going to become famous. You're going to become rich. And then you're going to take care of me. <laughs> so, that sounds almost perfectly like my mother, like to the T. Well, and, and so the challenge is you as an individual, you then have those mixed communications that you've got to sort through and say, who am I? And, uh, you know, one, one uh, classic example, when I was a, a teenager, I had done magic my whole life, and so I was very good at it. And I would get up on stage, and I would crush it. And you know, teenage girls would walk up to me and say, "Hey, let's go hang out." And so we'd go hang out. Except the guy that was on stage was confident. The guy hanging out was the other me, the guy that had no confidence and was insecure. And so we'd be sitting there over, you know, over sodas. And within ten minutes, I could see their eyes glaze over. And what the look was to me is, "Who are you?" And where, where's the guy that was on stage? That's the guy I want to go on a date with. And I, and I realized that I was both people. 
and that I needed to ask myself which person would be the better person to be on stage or off stage. And clearly that confident person was the better person to be. And I said, okay, be him off stage then. You, you clearly have the ability, certainly have the resource to portray and be that person. Play with it off stage and see what happens. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, it, that's, that's something that actually is so powerfully incredible to me about the human psyche and how we actually can play off that. Because very similarly to you, if you don't mind me saying, um, I had a very similar situation where for the longest time, I think I was 25, I mean, I'm turning 28 soon, but um, actually by the time the show comes out, we're going to be only a couple of weeks away from turning 28. Um, when I was 20, up until 25, I believed I was actually completely hideously ugly and horrible looking, like what woman would want to date me. Fun fact. You know, that's, that's interesting. I, um, I had a guy who, un, unbeknownst to him, actually changed my life. I was a teenager, and, and this guy, uh, he was hideously. You're gorgeous. You're a good-looking man. Thank you. This, this guy was not attractive. And I mean, he, he had, uh, he just, he didn't look like he bathed, didn't take care of his, his teeth, his hair was always uh, greasy and scraggly. And we would walk into a party and I've always taken care of myself. I have always, you know, thought that that, that kind of hygiene was important. And we'd, we'd walk into a party and the women would flock to him. And I'd stand there, you know, time after time and go, I don't get it. You know, he doesn't take care of himself. He doesn't carry himself well. His clothes are dirty. And so one day I asked him, I said, can, can you help me understand why the women like you so much? He said, look at me. And I said, I am. That's why I'm asking you this question. <laughs> I like you. He goes, look at me. I'm gorgeous, man. And I realized that that was all he had going for him is that a fish doesn't know it's in water. He didn't know that he wasn't gorgeous. And so he carried himself like this, like, like Zoolander. He carried himself like a male model. And that's what they responded to. Oh, and I realized yeah. that that's the same thing for all of us in every single area of our lives, that yeah. when we can come from, again, that place of certainty, where we walk in and, and, you know, when I do a seminar, we do seminars in front of thousands of people. And I want to talk more about what brought me out of, of uh, retirement oh. and, and what's got me inspired. We do seminars for thousands and thousands of people. And, and, and I, you know, I take a look at the people that see massive change and the ones that, that continue to struggle with it, you know, day after day after day. And the thing is, it's not enough to learn. We've got to become a new person. We've got to decide that we're gonna reinvent ourselves. So just like you, you know, as a teenager, you had to reinvent yourself and say, you know what? There is there are there are many somebodies for everybody. Maybe I might not appeal to everybody, yet I'm going to appeal to the right person. So when I do a seminar, whether there's three people in the room or thirty thousand in the room, I always uh, say this little prayer. I say, God, let everybody that's supposed to show up show up. And then that way I don't feel bad when I walk out and there's three people rather than 3,000. And I think that, 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 that the first step of certainty is finding our lives perfect and then dealing with what emerges because finding it less than perfect is a waste of time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's interesting because we are going to touch upon why you actually came out of retirement because that's something I'm really interested about, about you know how and also how you transformed yourself, specifically what you did. Um, but what I was going to say, just to finish off the point, up until I was 25, I actually, you know, again, thought I was horribly ugly. Now, here's the real kicker of it all. I was still the guy that, amongst my many friends, they all looked at me and went, what the fuck are you talking about? We've seen, like, um, years ago, I went to a burlesque show because one of my friends is a dancer. I went to her show, and I don't know if you actually know this, but it's really incredibly hard as a single male to actually get a burlesque dancer's phone number. 
after she's been on show because, you know, so many men walk up to her, ask her out, da da da, all the other fun stuff. For some very strange reason, I can walk up to women and take them out on a date. No problem. But in my mind, I still believed I was ugly. It wasn't until I hit 25 and went through that um, self-identification stuff that all came back out to normal. And it's so true that how you reinvent yourself as a new person, new things happen to you. Well, again, it's that identity. We are who we think we are to ourselves. To the outside world, we are what we do. And so in order to, all we've got to do to change our actions and hence change ourselves is change what we think inside. I teach people that are struggling financially, stop attempting to be a millionaire and just be a millionaire whose money has not yet been deposited in your bank account. Stop, if you, if you want to take off extra pounds, stop being a fat person trying to lose weight and acknowledge the fact that you are a slender person who may have put on a few extra pounds. Be that thing that you seek to be before there's evidence or validation, and then the evidence and validation will show up. Hmm. So it's kind of like the whole be the thing and see it happen rather than try and do the thing for them to validate who you are because that'll never work because you're basically trying to get the fire out of the wood before you've actually put it into the, into the fireplace. And, and, and the challenge with that is since reality is created by validation, if I lined up 10,000 people that I'd help make millionaires, um, very soon you and everybody else that was wanting that would look at those 10,000 people and begin to identify with some of those people. And you'd say, yeah, they started off where I am now. Yeah, they started off worse than where I am now. If he could help them, he can help me. And, and because you have that reality and you have that, that uh, observation, you're looking for evidence to support those beliefs. And that's what the human condition does. It looks for evidence to support its truth. Yep. Uh, I'm getting ready to head down to Necker Island on uh, Sunday for a week uh, with my, my family and, and Sir Richard Branson. And when we go down there, you know, I've been going down to Necker Island for, for years and years and years. Uh, when you go down there and you hang out with somebody like Sir Richard or you hang out with a Mark Cuban or any number of multi-billionaires, one of the first things that's got to occur to somebody that has reasonable intelligence and confidence is that they're humans. Yep. And that whatever anyone else could do, you could do too. The thing to think about, though, is you know, what are they doing differently than what you're doing? And so the example, because I asked Branson this, when I decided to come out of retirement, I paid a substantial amount of money to be in his presence. And I said, um, you know, what do I need to do to go from millionaire to billionaire? And he said, the first thing you have to do is let go of bad millionaire habits. And the, the point in that lesson is the thing that got you to where you are now, whatever level of success you think that is, may not be the thing that allows you to go to the next level. And sometimes it's like being on a trapeze bar. It's not what you need to do. It's what you need to let go of to continue your success. So for me, you know, one of the reasons I went into retirement is I had enough money. I'd done everything I'd set out to do. And all I wanted to do was spend my entire day, every single day, hanging out with my wife and my son. And the second son came and I said, great, the four of us are going to travel the world. We're going to stay retired. And then when my daughter was born, I looked into her eyes and and I thought to myself, girls are really expensive. I need to get back to work. (laughs) And, and, And I realized, though, that when I looked into my daughter's eyes that I just wasn't done. And that I was inspired to want to do more. And, and one of the other things that had happened is, you know, during the course of the last, call it eight to 10 years, worldwide, a lot of people got hurt financially. Yeah. You know, the economies changed and things were different. And, and many people, particularly here in the U.S. and yet worldwide as well. In fact, I was sitting with Sir Richard Branson eight years ago. I was on Necker Island and we were sitting there and I was getting ready to get on the, on the helicopter to leave the island. 
And we were just talking about things in general and kind of in passing. And he says, yeah, I think we're in for a really rough ride. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think we're going to see some major financial uh, resets in the U.S. That's going to cause a trigger worldwide. And I, I think that we're in for a really rough ride. And the fact of the matter is we have had a really rough ride. And, and I believe that we are on the other side of that now, at least momentarily. And I think the biggest challenge is a, a term uh, that I call velocity. And what velocity is as it pertains to economics and to cash is the speed with which money trades hands. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm driving uh, from my house in Las Vegas, my 17,000 square foot palace here in Las Vegas, and, and I decided just for the leisure of it all, I'm going to drive to my beach house down in San Diego, which is about five hours away. Uh, it just happens that when I decide to do this, that it is a weekend that there was some big thing going on in Vegas that I didn't realize, and so I get stuck in traffic, and I'm driving along, and rather than five hours like it normally takes, I'm eight hours into the trip, and I'm still only three quarters of the way there. I'm going, oh, man, I am exhausted. I either need to get coffee or I need to find some place to, to stay tonight. And there's this little teeny town halfway between Las Vegas and my home down in Southern California. And, and I pull over, and this little town has a motel. It's got a gas station. It's got a grocery store. And it's got a bar. That's about all it's got. They don't have anything else. And, and so I, I pull up to the motel and I go inside and it doesn't look very good. And I say to the owner behind the counter, I say, how much to stay uh, in your hotel over the night? And he says, 100 U.S. dollars. And I look around and he looks at me and goes, huh, we're the only game in town. And he sounds remarkably like Jack Nicholson. And, um, and so I, I said, you know what? Let me do this. Let me put $100 in cash on the counter. Let me go check out the room. If I want to stay, I'll stay. You keep the money. If I don't want to stay, I'll just come back and I'll get my money. He says, fair enough. I leave the lobby. I no sooner get out of eye shot when he grabs my hundred bucks, runs across the street to the bar and says to the owner of the bar, hey, bud, uh, this should take care of my bar tab. Bud, the owner of the bar, uh, there's a guy sitting in front of him. He says, hey, Johnny, these are for the groceries that we buy from your grocery store. That should take care of my tab. The guy that takes the money for the grocery store hands it over to a guy named Mac. He says, Mac, these are for the repairs you made on my car. This should cover my tab. Mac grabs that $100 bill, looks at the woman seated at the end of the bar, gives her a wink, and he says, you know what this is for, and he gives her the $100. She grabs that money. She runs across the street over to the motel that her husband owns. She puts the $100 on the counter and says, honey, this is the $100 I borrowed from you, paid in full. I come back to the room. I decide not to stay. I pick up my 100 bucks, I put it in my pocket, and I leave. All five of those transactions were completed. Every last one of those transactions were paid in full. That meant that money had a velocity of six. Me plus the other five people that had to touch that money, it had a velocity of six, which means that the more money trades hands, the better an economy is. The other thing that happened, especially here in the U.S. during the last eight to ten years, is that uh, a lot of people held onto their money so tightly that, number one, it, it wasn't changing hands, so people weren't getting their piece of the pie, so to speak. The other thing is the government couldn't tax it because there was no transactions. And when any government can't tax, what they do is find more ways to tax other things and find more fees and fines to impose upon their people. And so it brought everything to a standstill. So as, as I watched this going on, I saw that I had a lot of, of what we call here in the, in the U.S. baby boomers, a lot of people my age or older that, that were broke and they, you know, their, their Social Security, their government assistance wasn't coming through. They weren't getting any money. They weren't finding jobs. And the economy slowed down more and more and more. So what I decided to do 
is like I said, we have uh, if people go to silver.com, S Y L V E R.com, they'll see that I have a large number of seminars. We've got about 10 different offerings that range on the lowest end, uh, you know, a few hundred US dollars to the upper end, you know, 50,000 US dollars or more. And, and for years and years and years, I've had a really simple life. I open up my mouth and money pours into my life. I realized that the majority of my business came from referral partners, people that had, like you, had big audiences and, and had people that listened to them and respected them and trusted them. And I had a buddy of mine, he's, one day he said, why don't you have a, an affiliate program? Why don't you share the wealth with the people that, that send people to your events? I've sent you over a thousand people. I know they, they uh, account for probably $10 million in revenue for you. And I'm not asking for anything now, but I would send a whole lot more if I knew that there was something in it for me too. And I thought about it and I thought, well, gosh, you know, my business as usual is great. Uh, why don't I do that? And, and why don't I give a, a hefty portion of what we uh, collect to the people that send people? So that was the first thing. So I came out to win a Nobel Prize in economics by, by reshaping education and in particular business education. And here's the other thing. You know, the, the other reason I went into retirement wasn't just money. I was tired. I've worked since I full time since I was seven years old and I was just tired. And, and I said, you know what? I don't want to build a billion dollar brand if it means I've got to work 10 times harder. And so the other thing, though, is that we have to understand what our Achilles heels are. What are our focuses of rejection? And something Branson had said to me, he said, stop being a promotion, be a brand. And when he said it, it, it was like a light went off in my brain because I got it that, that I'd spent my life wanting the brand to be Marshall Silver, wanting the brand to be a superstar, you know, a rock star, a, a celebrity. And I realized that the people that make the most money, including Branson and people like him, they don't sell themselves. It, it's rare that somebody becomes a billionaire selling themselves they sell something else. So if to J.K. Rowling, she writes something once and sells it 10 million times. If it's, if it's the music business, you, you record an album once and then they sell it again and again and again. Or you duplicate who you are as a person, whatever that services that you provide. If you're a coach, if you're a copywriter, if you're a marketer, you duplicate that process. And rather than selling your services, you sell the process and have other people do that process for you. That's a great way of actually basically automating everything that you do, which is brilliant. And that's such a powerful truth in that billionaires don't build, they build brands. That's yep. essentially what it is. Um, and just because you mentioned Zoolander earlier, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm so, very glad that you actually mentioned that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can recite that movie verbatim. That's how many times I've seen it. It's one of my, whenever I feel sad, put that on. I'm happy right away because uh, positive association. One of my favorite things I was going to say was I was watching uh, American Gangster last night. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Yeah, uh, Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. Brilliant movie for anyone that's not seen it. Check it out because there's a bit that um, Denzel Washington's character, Frank Lucas, based on the real-life Frank Lucas, actually says, he goes, it's with it's to do with uh, heroin. And he goes, this heroin is a brand name. I'm a brand name. You can't water down a brand. You water it down name it under something else because you're actually completely screwing up with what I am. And the same thing goes for your business. Who you are, if it's a brand, you stand by a certain quality. And you have to say that way. Don't you just, I'm, I'm assuming that was uh, your phone to your Mac. I'm assuming. That was. I love, when, I, I love that when that happens because you're like, oh, God. you've left your phone on silence. It doesn't go off, but then rings through on your computer. You're like, oh, man, that happened. Totally get it. Now, my question for you really is that if someone was to go ahead and 
basically ask you very quickly, say you, you were in an elevator, a quick elevator ride, two minutes tops because it was slow for whatever reason, you go to the top floor and they asked you, hey Marshall, very quickly, what could I do today starting right now, simple thing that will start turning it around for me? And by turning it around, it means it could break a habit that's, that's really bad. Like uh, they actually, best question ever, how could they actually start in, in recreating that identity? The, instead of saying, I'm trying to be a millionaire, I am a millionaire. Or I'm trying to lose weight, I have already got a slender figure. Yes, what? I'm a slender person who has a few extra pounds. So the, the, what I would tell that person in two minutes is, number one, find a mentor. Do not attempt to figure it out by yourself. There are people who have already done it. You do not need to figure out all the details. It'll take too long. It'll cost too much. It'll be too painful. And here's the criteria for finding a mentor. Find somebody who has actually done it. Uh, you know, the challenge with, with the internet and what it is, it's that, you know, anybody can be a guru without any evidence or validation they've actually accomplished the thing that you seek to be mentored in. So find somebody who's actually done it. Anybody who's actually done it can provide proof and evidence. Secondly, find a mentor who started off worse than where you are now so that you don't have any excuses. Branson is my mentor. Um, and, and the reason I pay him millions and millions of dollars is that he was a high school dropout. They actually... Um, didn't ask him to drop out. They insisted that he drop out. They said, this isn't right for you. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, you know, there, there's certain other billionaires that, that I just can't identify with because their father gave them millions of dollars to start their career. I started with nothing. The other thing too is find somebody who's living a lifestyle that you want to live. I live big, you know, we'll fly on a private jet down to Necker Island. Uh, we, we, you know, live in a palace in the desert. We have uh, you know, home on the water down in Southern California. We live a big life. Not everybody wants to live a big life. Some people want to live a very conservative life, you know, play, play their cards close to the vest. And, and so someone like me would drive them crazy because I would, they would look at me and go, you're wasteful. Why are you driving around a $400,000 Rolls Royce when, you know, a $50,000, uh, car can get you from point A to point B just as easily. And, and so that's, you know, very important. Find a mentor so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then the second thing is begin with the end in mind. Have certainty that whatever it is you seek to accomplish will be done and that it's not difficult, that it's different. And that in order for you to get what you want, you've got to be willing to fail forward fast. You've got to be willing to lose the need for other people's approval and lose every single concern you have about looking good in front of other people. That's very powerful. That's extremely powerful what you just said right there because, again, I can only relate to my own situations when I have done and that's actually one of the craziest things that you actually, not craziest in a bad way, but like intensely powerful uh, things that you could have said to anyone, which is very simply lose the need for validation from outside sources. Yep. That, that's probably one of the biggest things. Now, that being said, now, what was it exactly that... Um, Wait, did you write a book? I, I'm really curious. Have you actually got a book out yet? I've written a few. The first book I wrote is called Passion, Profit, and Power. It's published uh, by Simon & Schuster. Perfect. And, and again, I believe that the things that we want in our lives boil down to three specific areas, relationships, wealth, and then what I call power, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. So Passion, Profit, and Power covers all those things. You show me a guy that's got a billion dollars and, and, and his married life is miserable, and I'll show you a miserable guy. You show me a guy that has an amazing marriage and you know great relationships and, and a ton of money but bad health, and I'll show you a very sad person. 
So when we look at our lives, we've got to look at the entirety of it. We've got to be focused on on having better emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. We've got to focus on adding value to our relationships and creating that amazing network. And then when you take care of those things in that order, what happens is your wealth takes care of itself. You know, when, when you are, again, providing service and, and value to somebody in a way that's meaningful to them, they'll, they'll beat the door down to get to your store. Yeah. Wow, that's, that, that is, again, very true. The, the, yeah. the thing that makes me very different is that, you know, a lot of people teach success skills, and that's one way to do it. I, I reverse engineered the whole thing, and I said, look, I'm not going to teach somebody success skills. I'm going to get in their brain and change who they, they are. I'm going to get them to a place where they realize that it's not can I make a million dollars, that I am a millionaire. I just need to start acting like one. I need to start carrying myself like one. I need to start communicating like one. You know, before we jumped on the podcast, you said that there is swearing on this podcast. And, and while I'm not approved by any means, and I can drop an F-bomb as well as anybody else, you won't find me doing it very often. And the reason I don't, I don't do it very often is, is because for me – there's, there's almost always a more intelligent way to communicate. And communication equals wealth. We communicate in two ways. We communicate internally. The 1,500 words per minute that are going through our brain telling us who we are and who we aren't, what we can be, what we can do, what we can have. And then there's outside uh, communication, which is called influence. Everything that we want that we don't have, we're going to get from other people. So it's that quality of our communication with other people that when we can communicate in such a way that we are fun to say yes to, guess what? People start saying yes to us more often. Yeah, that's very, very true. And it, very interestingly, though, I've actually noticed, I actually haven't swore that much during this phone call or during this uh, podcast. I haven't heard you swear once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, usually anyone that's had me, I do swear quite a bit in my real life. It's just a thing, you know, you grow up in a sales environment quite a lot of the time. You pick up a few weird habits, and that's one of the ones I picked up. But it's really weird. It's when I'm around the right type of person, for some reason it just goes. It comes and goes in that same moment. Now, the reason I actually brought it around the book was you're working on something right now called the Prosperity Alliance, right? We, uh, before I went into retirement, we had uh, begun to launch a company called the Prosperity Alliance. And like I said, I went into retirement. We, we, we didn't fully launch it. We certainly started giving out commissions with Prosperity Alliance. And when I came back out of retirement, I had been doing so much personal work on certainty. I said, you know what? This is beyond the alliance now. This is a certainty. And so the certainty movement, because I want it to be more than a company. Uh, we have a uh, institute that we are forming right now called the Certainty Institute. And there's a couple of... There are a couple things that are very near and dear to my heart. First is that that people, no matter where they are right now, that are willing to uh, take a hand up will will have a hand out to them. And so part of what I want to do is assist the homeless in getting education and getting their self-esteem back and getting the opportunity that that a lot of people can't have because they just don't have two nickels to rub together to get any kind of momentum. So the Certainty Institute will certainly uh, help people that find themselves in those kind of uh, circumstances where they are homeless, where they need to eat, where they need some compassion, where they need somebody to build their confidence and self-esteem back up. And then the other uh, cause that is very near and dear to my heart, even more so now that I have children, is uh, human trafficking and specifically child trafficking. Yeah. And in combating that and, and, and making sure that the people that would cause that kind of harm to innocent beings are, are number one, uh, brought to justice and, and exposed, and number two, that once again, there is a resource to educate people because it is so scary what's going on in the world right now as it pertains to that, 
that I think you know people have such a blind eye they don't want to believe it's possible. I, I saw on the news just the other day that the uh, the Vatican and it, I saw it on you know some back news places. I just saw that it showed up on AOL that the Vatican, one of the high-ranking people in the Vatican, was throwing a drug uh, fuel orgy with young young people, you know, with kids. And it was brought to light, and it was, you know, brought, brought out by the Italian police. And I just thought, my gosh, how bad does it have to be before somebody accepts the fact that we need to take charge of these things? So the Institute will, will be a nonprofit, and, and the for-profit uh, side of things, Certainty Incorporated, uh, CertaintyInc.com, will have for-profit educational programs so that we can pour back the profits from the for-profit to the non-profit and, and help as many people as we can. Now that being ah, said, how would someone actually go ahead and help out? Because you're completely right in terms of what really goes on with trafficking. It's something I don't really talk about as often, just simply because a lot of people do turn a blind eye to it, but it is, even in major cities, you'd be surprised. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's horrific. It's, it's the, and the challenge is, the reason that most people turn a blind eye is, unfortunately, many people in power, whether whether it's over in the UK or here in the US or worldwide, many people in power are the criminals, as is the case you know, with the Vatican that just came out. They have the resource, they have the, the money, they have the connections that should, they, should it be exposed, that it can be brushed under the rug. And that's the reason most people turn a blind eye. We've got a guy here in the States, a... Uh, a Marine, a soldier, who uncovered a substantial amount of human trafficking and and was working to bring it to light, and they, the, the forces that be have clearly destroyed his life, and the only offense that he committed was exposing that thing. Wait, which, which Marine? Um, I do not have his name at the top of my tongue yet. Was it Manning? Uh, it could be. Chelsea Manning, basically. Oh, no, 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 not, not Chelsea Manning. No, definitely not. No, it's... um. Uh, definitely not Chelsea Manning. Obviously, Chelsea has gone through a gender change yeah. uh, and was released from jail. But th this person was not charged with charged with any criminal crimes. They just found other ways to destroy his life, stop his cause, and stop his charity. Oh no, there's a few people I do know that's happened to. The conversation we can have another time. But seriously, it's it's incredible the powers that be do orchestrate and how they keep it very quiet. I think that's the other reason. I think it's not so much turning a blind eye that some people actually just afraid of acting out and helping out. And one thing that I'm very, very happy to hear you actually say is that a lot of the times that you're actually creating these uh, Prosperity Inc. is basically just going out, well, sorry, Certainty Inc. is going yep. out and doing is having profitable programs and rolling the profits back to the nonprofit side. That alone creates your own charity, which means that you're taking out all the middlemen. Because when you give to a charity, like 85% of it, if not more, doesn't actually reach the people that you're you're sending the money to or the aid to. It goes to all the middle people. Absolutely, and and the, the beauty is is in conjunction with the Certainty Institute, we are launching certainty centers, brick and mortar buildings where people can go to to gain certainty. And and if somebody you know comes in and they are broke and they are you know they just got fired from their job and they have nowhere to turn and they come in and we're able to give them education and foundational knowledge and skills that can turn their life around, well, when their life is turned around, they're going, hey, if the free stuff did that for me, oh, what would the $50,000 seminar do for my life? Let's go. And I think that, you know, it's that my original concept on the whole idea of the Certainty Institutes was that I saw a lot of religious organizations, and, and I'm a big fan of God, I have a deep love for God. I'm not a fan of most religions because I think that, that much of the world's angst and, and anger comes about from it. 
The thing, though, that, that I do believe is that if you took if, – if a church, rather than trying to get people to give them more money to run the church, would teach people how to make more money, then what would happen is, you know, then everybody wins. And so my whole idea stemmed from the fact that I said, look, if I'm going to be uh, spending money on hotel rooms to throw my seminars in, why don't I give the money to the center – Therefore, the money stays in the center. The center is, is nonprofit. It keeps all the money. Then the center can do good works. Yeah. See, that's if if only right. As you start building this more for start building this forward, I'm certain that more and more people will actually start doing the exact same because when they see one person do it, they start doing it and start creating a chain reaction. So that please do let me know. Uh, please let us know how we can help out. Not even just the show, but my listeners as well. They can check out, uh, and, and I saw the site was down this morning for some repair. They can go to certaintyinc.com, uh, the word certainty, and then I-N-C, and they can uh, check it out there. They can put their data in, and I will keep them updated as we release not only uh, more information, also as we start planning the certainty centers worldwide. Cool. So certaintyinc.com. Yeah, I-N-C, certaintyinc.com. Perfect. Guys, go check that out. Support Marshall. Now, real quickly before we actually head off to the show, um, there's two of my favorite questions that I have to ask, and it's um, just brilliant because there's so many people that are entrepreneurs, that are business owners, some that are struggling, some that hit plateaus. And it all condenses down to, we're, we're going to combine the two questions together. The first question in, well, part A of this is when you were down or when you've had clients in the past that are down below what they perceive their lowest points of confidence, they're like, man, I have no idea how I'm going to get back up off of this. What advice would you give and how did you actually raise yourself or your clients from that point to the level of confidence that you have that you could actually start moving forward again? Like, what was that thing? You know, one of the reasons that people get that low is they think that the whole world is against them and everything is wrong and that they're in a, in a living hell. And so the way we get ourselves out of that living hell is we look at our lives and we find one thing that is perfect. We find one thing that's not just close to being right. It's 100% right. And, you know, for me, in my lowest moments, I would simply look at my hand and I would say, you know what, that's an amazing creation. And, and, and I, I couldn't have created it any better. And then when I'm looking at my hand, I think to myself, my gosh, your eyes are looking at your hand, which means your eyes work. You have two things to be grateful for. And then since gratitude expands itself, once we start focusing on what we're grateful for and what we have, rather than what we don't have, we get more of that. Yeah. So the first thing would be get grateful. The is to count your blessings rather than paying attention to what you don't have. Focus on what you do have since what you focus on expands. That is awesome. That's then the second thing, the second thing I would do, if, and I have done, because I mean, you know, life is 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 bumps and, and valleys and, and mountains, and it goes up and it goes down. The second thing, though, that that I have done is in my lowest moments, I've, I've said, okay, who has gone through what you've gone through and come out fine on the other side? You know, when I was going through my second divorce, um, I look back now and it's laughable how much I fought for that marriage because it was so wrong for me. And, and, and I just said, you know what, Marshall, there are people that took two or three opportunities to find the person they were supposed to be with. And so just keep that in mind. I, you know, before I shaved my head, 
Um, I said, you know, find some powerful, powerful people, not just moderately powerful people. Find some very powerful, wealthy people that have shaved heads and you'll realize you are not your hair. You are not your your uh, outside look. You are who you believe you are inside. And that's about to be reinvented. Wow, that's incredible. So basically finding a mentor and then also very much finding, counting your blessings and expanding from the focus from there. Absolutely. That's incredible. Got one more for the road for us? Yeah, that is, you know, wherever you are today, um, there is something that you could be doing that is powerful, productive, and leads you toward what you want. Do some of that. You know, it might be clearing off your desk so that your environment is less chaotic. It may be making one phone call on your own behalf that you don't think anybody is going to respond to. They just might respond favorably to you. It might be that you just need to let go of some toxic relationships that aren't serving you, even even if you're related to those toxic relationships. That's incredibly powerful. Marshall, again, thank you so much for taking the time for being here today and just the incredible information that you shared alone in the last 45, 50 minutes that we've actually been, well, 48 minutes that we've been on the show has been incredibly powerful. Guys, everyone that's listening right now, please go ahead and check out silver.com. That's S-Y-L-V-E-R.com. Get in touch with Marshall. Do check out um, certaintyincinc.com. So certaintyinc.com. You'll actually go check it out uh, in the links in the description below. Marshall, again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, and I hope that we can do this again sometime. I look forward to it, my friend. Have an awesome day, and thanks so much for having me. Guys, take care, and we'll hope to see you guys soon. Check it out for the next week's uh, next week's podcast coming out. But also, guys, get in touch with Marshall. Support him. I will guarantee you it will only lead you to better places. See you guys later. Bye.